Today, it's me, Janine, here with Greg, Luke, and Dewey. I'm Dewey. It's nice to meet you guys. Meow. Greg! Dewey. I'm like Dewey's so destiny cold. is to be depressed right now. No, he's, he's rubbing his face up against things. He's enjoying it. I think he's enjoying not being cold. My Dewey bud is trying to escape. Do do. Bye bye, my little Dewey bud. So, how was your day? My day? Yeah. It was good. Yeah. I had something I was going to open this podcast with, but now I can't remember what it was. Ha. Isn't it great when I take so many hours to type up all of my notes and then. That's it? We're recording at 8. It's 8 p.m. on a Tuesday. Luke, how do you feel Luke. about recording? I'm just trying to get Dewey's attention because he's walking around. Oh, hi, the Dewey. Oh, he was sitting with Amanda. Hi. Oh, he's trying to escape. But no, Bunny's you have really to cold stay. outside. I hope she finds. Oh, do you think Bunny's at the door, Dewey? No. I think Dewey just wants out. Dewey? Oh, no, you're letting him out. No, I'm just going to check if Bunny's outside. Of course, no. Bunny's not outside. Upside? You can just let him out. It immediately feels the cold. Oh. Okay, bye, Dewey. Dear audience, did you know there's people in the world that didn't know thermostat dads existed? A majority of our audience might not know. I don't know if I want to get into this debate <laughs> with the general public. Thermostat dads are like... Such a thing. Don't touch it. It's such a thing that commercials are made about it. Yeah, actually. I'm still thinking about what I want to open up the podcast with. What are your thoughts on the Powerpuff Girls? Is that actually what you're asking me? Was that the actual opener you were No, I'm about? not, but we're... Are you also talking about cartoons today? I am not, don't worry. Okay, um, my thoughts on the Powerpuff Girls? Like, they're feisty, they're cute, they're kind of like Charlie's Angels for kids. Which one's your favorite? I don't know. They have names. Y- yeah. <laughs> I only watched me- like a handful of Powerpuff Girl episodes. It's green, blue, really and that red. That's it. their names. No. The green one's name is... It's Buttercup. Buttercup. And then the blue one is Bubbles. And then the red one is Blossom. It's Blossom, oh. butter- Buttercup, and Bubbles. Blossom is always my favorite, I think. The red-haired one? Yeah. Mm. I think so. My favorite was Buttercup. Because she was mad at everyone all the time and beat people up. Oh, that's why you like me. No. I am (laughs) Buttercup. Divya? No, you're not. I am! When is the last time you beat someone up? In my dreams daily. (laughs) Okay. I'm trying not to get arrested so soon after becoming a citizen. Oh, that was my opener. (laughs) I'm a citizen of the United States, fuckers. Let's go. You can't deport my ass now. Let's see you try. America. 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 Fuck yeah. Banana, banana. Coming again to say the motherfucking day, yeah. That was stolen. From who? 
the fuck is that movie called, Luke? From whom? Team America. Right? No, it's Team America World Police. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, it came from the wonderful creators of South Park. Oh, okay. That sounded like I, where I thought it was from. Mm-hmm. Not from South Park. Merry fucking Just- Christmas. <laughs> she showed me that clip from South Park yesterday. I found it deeply offensive in all the right ways. Yeah, that's kind of their thing. Yeah. <laughs> Why should one offend one when you can offend oh. everyone? Yeah. That's a pretty good motto. Sorry, I totally just talked over you. I did talk over you too. <laughs> Who's to say who talked over whom? Who's the bottom? We'll never know. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm the bottom. <laughs> also known as Amanda. And Janine. I'm Divya. And Greg. And the top? Apparently. I've been told one time I was in middle school and I didn't, I was a very innocent kid. I learned everything from other people. And this one girl walked up to me in the cafeteria and she said, you give bottom energy and then walked away. And that has stuck with me my entire life. I just think about it late at night. I didn't even know what it meant then. And, but as an adult, as I grow and learn more things, I just don't know what to do with that answer. Hey, Divya, I should tell you something very important right now. What? That girl was me. Amanda. Amanda <laughs> took a plane from Rhode Island, <laughs> appeared in my California middle school, just to tell me I was a bottom. She said, girl, get a grip. Yep. If you were not poor, I would 100% believe that. <laughs> I 100% believe there's a universe in which you grew up rich and you just traveled to places and told people... <laughs> What sexual position you thought they would be best at? <laughs> oh man, yeah, that would have been fun. I fully support this for my non-existent past self. This haunts me to the same point that someone told me my attachment style. You remember? Yes. I told someone they asked me if I was a cat person or a dog person, and I was like, "Well, I didn't really grow up with pets, but I like having the cats around. I think it's like it suits me. Like I, I get along with them pretty well." And they go, "Huh, that says a lot about your attachment style." And that sits there with the bottom comment. <laughs> and that comment alone from that person says a lot about their attachment style. Does it? Attachment styles are fake anyways. I mean, I think it says that they're just bullshit. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. All right. All right. I know who goes first this time. If that's because we recorded two days ago. Oh, my God. No, it was longer than that. It was a week ago. Okay, fine. I'll give it to you. I knew Luke would call me on my bluff. I was just waiting to see if you would. <laughs> Yes. The same exact routine. Yeah. It's a Tuesday. We got Chipotle. 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 They didn't give us sides this time, the bitches. Mm. I have half a Chipotle waiting for me because I need it to fill me up all the way to the top so I can fall asleep. Oh, see, I just shoved every bite of that bitch in my mouth and I said, I don't care how full you are. Eat oh. the food. 
I tempered myself because the last few times I've had Chipotle before podcasting, I'm just like asleep during your story. <laughs> That's okay. You can sleep during my stories. They're not that good. Whose stories are good? <laughs> no no ours. <laughs> if you're looking for good stories, go somewhere else. If you came here for crazy bitch energy, dumb bitch energy, <laughs> dumb, dumb bitch energy. <laughs> to quote Divya, only a couple hours ago, oh, Amanda, you dumb, dumb bitch. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and I stand by it. And I, it actually made me feel so much better. All right, folks. Oh, you're starting? I am starting. You don't want to record for like three hours again? No, I would really, really like to eat the rest of my Chipotle and fall (laughs) deeply asleep. Will you take a shower after and feel like a dumpling? No, I took a shower at like noon today before my citizenship oath ceremony. So Mm. I will, I need to wash my hair too. So that sounds like a morning thing. It's like you baptized yourself. Yes, correct. (laughs) I wore my fancy clothes too. For what? No one saw me, and I didn't take any photos. <laughs> Devia's story is beginning. We're we haven't done the things yet. Oh my god, you're right. Hi, yes. everyone. <laughs> we did that part. We yes. we did not tell them. You're listening to How Did We Get Here? Oh yeah, with your hosts Amanda and Divya. <laughs> Every week we're given a topic, and we build Hold stories. Hold on. Red flags. First of all, every episode released in undefined amounts of time (laughs) we can't guarantee weeks that's true well a week is can be whatever we want it to be it's whenever they listen to it yeah you listen every week the queen is never late (laughs) everyone else is simply yes so every episode our lovely lovely sound engineer luke and now almost third podcast host yeah he um, has a mic he has a mic yeah gives us a word a we topic. go a topic i said it the first time you're messing up my flow girl you really are stop interrupting get a grip okay shit <laughs> <laughs> i meant to completely interrupt you and that didn't work um okay i won't interrupt anymore <laughs> Do you want me to explain what's going on here? What? Mm, yeah, I Luke can, can do it. Things. Luke can do it. Oh, Luke is doing it? Luke is doing okay. it. Luke's got it. So I'm here to explain how did we get here. Every episode, we're given a topic. Well, I give a topic to these lovely contestants. They're actually Fantastic. the hosts. But they take that topic and tell a story as far and adjacent to the same topic. But we follow that string, and we'll eventually find ourselves back to the topic, and we'll see how far they got. Pulling strings, ladies and gentlemen. Or contestants. What I do for my job. Maybe one will lose and never come back. What? We're losing? Your contestants know. I got fired? All right, bye. But yeah, I have to find the definition again. I, uh, got lost on the dictionary website somehow. Oh, it's okay. Take your time. Sit down. Where are you going? I was fired. No, I'm contestant number one. What? I love dogs and walks on the beach. If you choose me, I'll put out. I'm contestant number two. I might be a serial killer, 
I really like night. It's when you do fun stuff. Shout out to Rani Alcala, the dating game killer. Oh. I basically just stole his weirdness. You're welcome. Well, that was nice meeting both our contestants here. <laughs> and the topic for us today is impressionism or impressionist painting. I am using impressionism as the word for the definition. It is often capitalized. Thank you very much. <laughs> the definition is a theory or practice in painting, especially among French painters of about mm, 1870, of depicting mm. the natural experiences of objects by means of dabs or strokes, primarily unmixed colors in order to simulate actual reflected light. I got lost at dabs and strokes. <laughs> I've had both today. What a fun day for you. <laughs> Thank you. Today's story is a little weird. It's very conceptual. It reminds me of the first story I ever told on this podcast, which is a great way to end with the last episode of the year. Ever? I said of the year, bitch. Use your reading skills. You're talking to me. Yes. I don't have reading skills. Hearing skills. So we're going to start kind of with the concept of fear. And we're going to take that into horror movies and then kind of break down the psychology of that. Not really the psychology, but more just like the concepts, concepts that they use in horror movies. You know what really scares me? Lily pads. Why? I was just making an impressionist art joke. Oh, <laughs> I didn't think of, like, lily pads as lily pads. I thought of, like, the early educational system that we use for kids. Huh? You know, like, the lily pads? Like, I don't know. It's, like, lily pad learning or something like that. I don't know exactly what I'm referencing. It's, like, they use it to help kids read or something like that. Whoa. It's, like, it's hitting a vague tone in my head. But you said picture books, and so I've been in the child's face since then. When did I say picture books? You were like, or cartoons. Oh. You said cartoons. My brain went picture books from there. Wow, Divya. You're giving my story away. <gasps> I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. Audience, now you know. You know a little bit. Yeah. Or Luke will cut it out. <laughs> 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 All right, so fear, and I'm going to take a definition from Paul D'Agolorando, which I think is a fun name. All right. Um, Fear is not a pathological emotion, but a state of progressive anguish, increasing powerlessness in the face of the inevitability of something we want to avoid. Mm. Um, Creepy. It is exactly what fear feels like. Yeah. Pretty close to anxiety, too. Yeah. In the sense of that we can't control something, and that creates a sort of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is, like, the basis obviously for all horror movies they're trying to generate a fear kind of generate that powerlessness in the viewer Mm -hmm. as they watch the movie um according to stephen king in both horror novels and movies there's kind of three types of strategies here Mm -hmm. one is the gross out which is like oh just like overly horrific sight of something so he gives examples like a sight of like a severed head tumbling down the stairs Mm mm-hmm 
Um, then there's horror, which is something unnatural that we're looking at. So like spiders the size of bears, the dead waking up and walking, you know, it, it's something in our world, but it's like unnatural. Spiders the size of bears. I'm quoting Stephen <laughs> King. <laughs> yeah. Also, the first one, the gross out, the only thing I could think of was the scene from The Shining where the elevator doors open and you just like floods of blood. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched that movie, but I read a lot of essays about horror for this, and I was definitely there a lot when they were describing this. The Shining is a big one. We should watch it sometime. Yeah. 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 Um, And then the last one, and the one I think I'll maybe focus on the most, is terror. So it's like when you come home and everything you own has been taken away and replaced with an exact substitute. The lights go out, you feel something behind you, you hear it, you can feel its breath against your ear. But when you turn around, there's nothing there. So it's this kind of creation of the anticipation of something terrible is happening. Okay. I think it's the one that is kind of closest to generating that anxiety portion of fear and creating that sense of powerlessness. Um, and it really is focused around this concept of creating the liminal space, which is the social equivalent of the uncanny valley. There are a lot of big things thrown out that people who aren't as much of nerds as us <laughs> might not know, so I will explain it for the the viewers. I don't know liminal space, but Uncanny Valley? Fuck me up. Yeah. So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Okay? But the Uncanny Valley is essentially, like, describes the concept of if we created robots that looked exactly like humans, it would freak us out in how similar they are, but then the, just a sense of wrongness of something being that close to humans. Yeah, I think, like, a lot of alien lore very, very strongly fits into Uncanny Valley Mm -hmm. territory, yeah. You can... Or, like, Men in Black is a very good example of Uncanny Valley. Wait, why? Well, because a lot of, like, people that have these experiences with Men in Black will describe them as, like, human but not, like... Okay, so I don't Not know what movie. Men in Black is because I thought you were talking about the Will Smith movie. Not oh, no, movie. no, no. So the actual concept of Men in Black is like these things that are potentially alien beings and they come, they like visit people after UFO sightings or alien encounters, that kind of thing. And they oftentimes have like pale, waxy looking skin. Like it looks like they're painted on and they'll have like ruby red lips but no actual like lip shape so again it looks like the features are like painted on sometimes they don't have pupils oh they don't have hair interesting so it's like very close but like one thing's off yeah yeah okay yeah so that's exactly it so when i say a liminal space it's just like the social setting of that so take the unsettling nature of the in-between that the uncanny valley presents Mm -hmm. and then kind of situate it in a physical setting mm-hmm. or a social space so an example of that would be like base motel when it looks exactly and feels like a motel mm-hmm. but then you enter it and it's like basically this huge labyrinth and the rooms connect in all these crazy weird ways it's like what we know is put in front of us but then they change one feature one characteristic or a little bit more than that where it feels the same but not there's something off and we can't quite put our finger on it or we can put our finger on it there was a Criminal Minds episode that also took place in a motel. It was very similar to, like, Bates Motel. But they have, like, the beds are, like, 
posted down. Everything is, like, chained to the walls and mm. stuff. And that's mm-hmm. They, like, walk in and immediately are like, that's weird. Do they, do they, do they think we're going to steal it or something? Uh, like, yeah. Creepy. Um, so I, wanna, I want you to keep that kind of liminal space in mind. We'll come back to it later. But I do think it's kind of where terror sits the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to open with the story of the monkey paw. And from here on, up until we get to Impressionism, I am borrowing very, very heavily from one video essay by Thomas Flight, um, who is a YouTuber. So if anyone's like, oh my God, Divya, you're so brilliant. I'm not. That's Thomas Flight. And if you think, <laughs> oh my God, Divya, you sound so fucking dumb right now. That's because I'm not saying what he said correctly. All right. Well, anyway, the monkey paw is great. Mm-hmm. Great read for anyone out there. Edgar Allan Poe does terror like no one else. Mm-hmm. Really, he does. Um, so I'm going to quickly recap it for those who haven't read it. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, this old man and his wife, they have a visitor. They bring over a monkey paw. They're like, hey, this grants wishes. He's like, cool, that sounds great. They try it out. Um, their first wish, they wish, I don't remember the exact amount of money, but they wish for something like 20 pounds or something. They're like, hey, I wish for 20 pounds. And before the story starts, or like while the visitor is handing them this paw, they say, hey, Grant's wishes in a super weird way. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's a little bit of a terror story. They don't listen. They wish anyways. Um, They don't get the 10, they expect the 10 pounds to just like magically show up on their doorstep or something like that. Right. But what ends up happening is they get a knock on their door the next day. Um, Like a constable comes in, hands them the money and says, this is the compensation because your son died at work today, which is super, super sad. Um, obviously, his next go-to thought is, I'll use the monkey paw again, like a dumbass. So he wishes that his son can come back um, alive and is totally normal and everything. Um, well, but he doesn't wish the second part. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he should have been more specific. <laughs> um, but he wishes for his son to come back from death. And late at night... They hear a knocking at the door. Knock, knock, knock. Mm. And he kind of gets reminded of like, oh shit, the wishes are granted in super weird ways. It's also late at night and there's a strange knocking at the door. Kind of the combination of all of these makes the man terrified. And he basically wishes for whatever's at the door to disappear. And the knocking disappears. And that's how the story ends. So I think this is a really, really great setup for what's the difference between terror versus horror, right? Mm-hmm. So that gut deep dread that we feel of all the different possibilities that are awaiting at the door, that's terror. Um, and horror would have been what would have happened if we opened the door and we had seen like a monster or his son is a zombie, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like that definitive possibility that creates horror. So from here... We're going to dive into kind of two movies, um, one that I've seen and one that I've not, So, but I have seen a lot of scenes from the second movie. We're going to talk about Jaws, which is the movie I haven't seen. Duh, duh. Oh, that was totally wrong. No, it's... Boom. You got, do you know? I do, but it's I enjoy this. Yeah. Yep, that's it. Um, that and sounded we are... more like the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I <so>. know! <laughs> So we'll talk about Jaws, and then we're also going to talk about a movie that all of us saw together, Nope, which is Jordan Peele's third film. 
Oh, so you haven't seen Jaws? Yes, that's what I said. Which is the one I haven't seen. Jaws. Oh, I thought you said it was the one you have seen. I'm sorry, I'm so dumb. No, that's not that's not what I said. Mm-mm. Damn, okay. Ah, okay. So we're going to talk about these two movies. And what I kind of want to focus on is because we could spend an entire two podcast episode on how these two directors, Spielberg and Jordan Peele, are fantastic at creating terror in almost like every fucking scene of these movies. Um, the anticipation. This is why they're renowned films. You know, as soon as you pointed that out, Nope is like Space Jaws. Yeah. Very similar. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Okay. Wait, I didn't know that Jaws was a horror film. It's more like it, a, It's a thriller. It's, it's a, thriller, a thriller, but it does incorporate the terror portion of Because it's like the not horror genre. scary. I mean, but I wouldn't call Nope a horror movie either. I wouldn't mm. call both thrillers. thrillers. Yeah. It's so like I'll a, correct myself. No, 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 yeah. you're fine. It's a subgenre of thriller. Which, by the way, this is the second time that we're talking about thrillers. I also talked about thrillers in... The Lighthouse episode? The Lighthouse episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, while we, while I can dive into every scene, I'm going to focus on the audio-visuals of these films. So, kind of how sound shapes our experience there, mm-hmm. okay? Um, it kind of plays out, and I'm listing these off just so... I remember to talk about all three. Um, how do they use these? One is they use ambiguous sounds. Two, they use purposeful layering of sound. And three, they utilize silence um, mm-hmm. in a really interesting way. Okay. So for the first one, ambiguous sounds. I'm going to draw our, hand, our eyes, our minds, because no one is seeing this, to two scenes in these movies, Okay. <laughs> The first one in Jaws is when um, there's been a shark attack, but the public's not alarmed enough, so there's still the public's still playing at the beach. But our main character guy, he's sitting on the beach and watching for the shark attack to happen. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of tense emotion in the situation, and he's just like constantly looking at the beach. And then there's suddenly a scream, and it's the girl being lifted up in the air by her boyfriend or someone and dropped. It's a scream of kind of like playfulness and like. That kind of thing, but because we as an audience don't know that, and we're super on intention, on edge, on edge is the word I was looking for. Yeah, um, we're super on edge. We we like that ambiguity of sound creates a little moment of terror there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, the second scene is, or maybe it's like multiple scenes in Nope, um, is when we're looking, and if you haven't seen Nope yet. I'm sorry I'm going to spoil it, but, like, also it's been out in theaters for months, so, like, don't come after me. But also, you can see movies that you've had semi-spoiled for you. People, it's still an experience. True. And it's a really good movie, so watch it. Yeah. So, I mean, in Nope, um, since it's not as famous as Jaws, I will give some background. There is an alien in the film um, that is kind of responsible for all the mayhem. The alien is the shark mm-hmm. in Jaws, basically. Um, we see the, we don't ever see the alien for the good three quarters of the movie, I want to say, or like a half. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big question of if it's even real. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of scenes of our characters, kind of that cowboy-esque looking out at night towards the sky mm-hmm. and like listening and trying to look for the alien. 
And we hear a lot of like, it's complete silence in those scenes, except for the sounds of the natural background. And we hear something that's like the wind, but we don't really know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're like, we can't tell if that's something flying, if that's the wind or if that's the alien. And that kind of like turning everything down and then making those background sounds pop and creating those ambiguous background sounds is a moment of anticipation and dread they're creating in Nope. Mm-hmm. So when we come down to that second one, the layering of sound, they've done something really interesting in Nope that I want to um, highlight. So when we hear those that scene where there's all those different background sounds, the actual alien moving in those sounds, they kind of have layered the wind, mm-hmm. bird calls, and then the actual people screaming. So later on, we find out that the alien, the way it functions is it sucks up all people and they're slowly digested as they're screaming alive. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Yeah. But those screams pretty high up in the air sound something like wind, something like birds. But they layered all those sounds every time we hear the alien in those first scenes. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> the third thing they've done is when they were recording the actual screams, they had... They gave the voice actors two directions. One, scream like you're at going on a roller coaster. So like you're terrified, but you're kind of still having fun. Whee! Yeah, like, ah, but like you're kind of, it's like hard to distinguish. It's the sound of the girl at the beach. Yeah. She's genuinely alarmed, but she knows she's safe. Yeah. And then the second one, scream like you're actually being digested by the huge fucking alien. You know? So there's that second ambiguity of sound that they've created there. So, um, the very use of the sound of the alien combined with the layering of the soundscape. There's another scene in Nope that I want to highlight. So there's this constant subplot of this sitcom, uh, back in the eighties or nineties where a chimpanzee who is the star of the show goes rogue, turns wild for some reason. It ends up killing a lot of the cast members, except for one who, from their perspective, we end up seeing the whole scene play out basically two two the one girl gets her like face ripped off but oh you're right you're right yeah. once there's another girl who survives um so in that scene we, while we do see from that kid's perspective for a bit of it the way that opening shot goes is we start from the outside of the set mm-hmm. and we walk into the set mm-hmm. and that's where we get the third one of utilizing kind of silence and turning things down all the way until you only hear one sound. Mm-hmm. So in that case, a sitcom set is supposed to be lively. Um, there's always people laughing, props being moved around, the actors talking. We enter a sitcom set that's completely quiet. Sure, it could be off hours until we start to hear this thump. And this is where the uncanny valley and the liminal space of things come in. Because like no. The wind and the birds, totally normal things for us to hear. Mm -hmm. And again, a thumping sound, not super weird, right? It's something we hear in our day-to-day lives. But in the space that it's situated in, that we're very comfortable in, a movie set, we start to hear this thump, thump, thump. And we get closer and closer to it until we find out, spoiler alert, it's an ape bashing in the face of a child. So... Ugh. So many, I have so much goosebump right now. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. 
This is a frightful episode. Say Christmas horror story. <laughs> if you're listening to this at Christmas. Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, that silence is also seen in Jaws, which is before that first shark attack. We're listening. The background goes completely quiet. Mm-hmm. And then the shark attacks. So that using silence is like because they first made us start to listen to all the little noises. And then they eliminate even the little noises without knowing it as viewers. We're put on edge and mm-hmm. our fear kicks in. And it's a great way to create that anxiety, dread, fear, terror before the horror hits. Yeah. So what I wanted to kind of point out here is... One, people are doing really amazing things with sound now, which I just think is, it's its own art. Um, It's its own art, art style. People are doing amazing things with sound and really playing with the way that we as an audience react to it and experience it. Mm -hmm. Um, And two, like, I'm starting to realize what I dislike a lot about horror movies is I don't like the first two things i don't like a lot of gore and i don't like direct horror like when i see the monster i'm like okay like whatever cool you made this guy look scary good job yeah but the reason why nope and jaws are like such fun movies to watch is because of that thriller aspect of it of the terror that they create um and probably what ends up sticking to us most as the audience is the horror portion of things like what we'll remember most from jaws is like the obviously the music right the theme that we're saying as it Mm -hmm. plays as the sharks are coming directly for the victims and we see them tear them apart you know and two like the imagery of the people being sucked up and chewed up by the alien and no that's gonna stick with us right Mm -hmm. but while that's what we tend to remember i think that anticipation that eeriness the uncanny valley effects and the liminal space we're creating before the horror starts is what makes it so impactful. Mm-hmm. I think seeing those like scenes alone would, yeah, be like, oh, gross. But they wouldn't create that experience where we, the viewers ourselves, are scared when it happens. Mm-hmm. It would feel like we're viewing something else. The terror is what places us in the movie with the actual people being murdered, you know? Yeah. It's all just that all of them are important because if you didn't have that moment you wouldn't care about any of the actual dread. You'd just be like, oh, there's yeah. just things going on. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that the terror is more important. It's just you need all three. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I'm highlighting terror because it's the one we you, don't think about as much. You made it sound like that was way amazing and horror sucks and needs to be out of every movie. Well, no. I just, per- I as a person, maybe think horror it's too spooky. Well, I mean, like, both Jaws and Nope have a solid amount of gore. Yeah. You watch people get digested. Blood pours on the house. In Jaws, you have the water that's just, like, pooling with blood everywhere. You watch people get limbs pulled off. Like, there's a lot of gore. Mm-hmm. They just balance it in a better way yeah you don't feel like it's too much either just because 
it's balanced out with the horror and the terror right to make a great balance yes yeah no good correction luke it is a balance of things that i like I think it's why the scary movies of Halloween tend not to appeal to me as much because that there feels like an imbalance for me. In but those you like movies. Coraline, right? But Coraline doesn't have a lot of gore. You're correct. Coraline is actually defined as a psychological thriller. Yeah. So we're almost at the end of my story, and you people are thinking, Divya, oh Divya, did you forget what the topic was? I did no, not. I have a solid idea for how you get there, actually. Okay. Let me say it, and then tell, I'll, then tell me if that's what you were thinking. Okay. Okay. So, Impressionism, and I'm going to give some background that I don't know if you'll give in your story or not, but we, we might overlap here. I um, won't. Okay. There is no background. Wonderful. <laughs> um, impressionism arose because, in part, due to the photograph, Right. Um, the photograph came out and people were like, well, this is as realistic as it's going to get. So us trying to paint as realistic as possible kind of seems futile when the photograph can do that in like a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I'm quoting someone, but I don't know who. If it's your quote, feel free to comment and say, hey, it's my quote. But <laughs> painters turn to the one thing they could do inevitably better than the photograph. By further developing into an art form, it's very subjectivity in the conception of the image and the very subjectivity that the photograph eliminated. So impressionist photos kind of take into account the effects of emotion, the consciousness of the experience, and the perception of the mind into the photo. It's why it's an impression of a painting, right? Like you're not just seeing the sunrise for what it is, you're probably seeing how the sunrise impresses itself on you and how you feel about the sunrise in a way too. So it's that compilation of reality and subjectivity experienced by an individual. Mm -hmm. So our direct correlation is I think the photograph in a way, is horror. It's that absolute, exact, we know exactly what's out there. Okay. We're seeing the monster. We're taking a photo of it, you know? We're getting to see it. The impression of it, the emotion, the fear, the subjectivity that we as a viewer feel is really created by the impression of the monster, right? And that's the terror. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this particular case, I kind of want to draw a relationship between the audiovisuals of terror that we talked about for so long and the brushstrokes of Impressionist paintings. Um, the goal is not here to convey a perfect reality of situation. It's to create that liminal space where we're giving the impression of reality, but changing key elements to lend to the subjective experience of the film. So the layering of thick brushstrokes to imitate the human perception of light is pretty similar to the layering of those background sounds and the tweaking of them to create the human perception of the alien and the terror it brings. So, and I think in both cases, we're creating a simulation of reality where we can view ourselves in two spots. One, as the person who is consuming the painting, consuming the movie, but then also we get put as a subjective person who is inside the painting or object, like, no longer the, the objective viewer, but we are actually experiencing the painting and we are actually experiencing the terror in the film. So that was what my story was all about. Did it line up with what you kind of thought I was going to do? Actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. It really did. Um, 
I am impressed upon a similar concept in mine. Oh. Which is really funny. Um, also, I think it's super funny that we both went for aspects of media. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, it's painting, so. Well. The original social media. <laughs> but I mean, ultimately, like, you are talking about media driven by feeling, and we will talk about it, but I will give away some. I'm also talking about experiencing media, media by feeling. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Um, wow, I don't know why you were worried about that. I just thought the brush strokes and relating them to audio visuals was a bit of a leap. And I think it still was. No, but... not at all. No, I don't think so. No, it's great. And as a matter of fact, the whole time that you were even talking about that, I was just thinking about, I know you haven't seen this movie, but in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, there's that iconic moment where the one character is staring at the... I don't remember what the... It's like a day in the park, mm-hmm. I think, is the painting. It's in Chicago. Um, the character's staring at the painting at this little girl's face that's just made of dots, and she has, like, no actual facial features, mm-hmm. and it just keeps panning into his face and getting closer and panning into the little girl dot face and panning closer. I feel like that just... That just really drives home that he's feeling... The girl, even though the girl isn't really a girl, she's just a bunch of dots. Mm. Oh, so good. I need to see this movie. Ferris Bueller's Day, mm-hmm. Day Off. Yeah, yeah, it's a great movie. We have too many movies we have to see. We have three thousand movies we have to see. But wonderfully, three billion. We have all the time in the world. <laughs> and yet we, we never sit down and just watch things. We do on occasion. I saw The Scrooge recently. Scrooged. The Scrooged. A 1988 Bill Murray movie. I was going to say classic, but it's really not that popular. It's a classic. It's of a classic of... It's of the classic Christmas Carol. Yeah. It's kind of... It's out there. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I start with my sources. So, today... We have information from Penn State's opinion page. I don't know why that cracks me up. Uh, Impressionistarts.com. Love it. Medium.com. Thegamer.com. SDAMustang.com. Fun. Learning, EarlyLearningNation.com. The Saturday Evening Post. And Light ngo.org that is don't go there actually (laughs) (laughs) i just i just used it for some information on well some things that i'll talk about later but it's just propaganda don't go there (laughs) and wikipedia yeah must cite our best friend i should donate to wikipedia i should do honestly like, most of the time, I try not to pull my information directly from there, but, but I can the... use it for ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I always put the links at the top of my thing when I'm, like, trying to map out exactly what my idea is going to be, mm-hmm. and it's still there. I usually delete it before we get started. Oh. Wow. I just sounded like the biggest nerd that ever existed, and that is okay. Did you make it's a PowerPoint okay, for that? Hmm? Did you make a PowerPoint for your ideas for this story? No, I don't hate myself that much. <laughs> I hope you know 
You don't know because you're not a viewer, but I gave them the nastiest look. <laughs> How does it feel? I didn't make a PowerPoint either. I'm just saying PowerPoint making is also engineering. Disgusting. All right. So we're going to start my topic by talking about children-centered programming. For English, kids chose. Or kids content today. Whatever you feel like calling it. Peppa. Peppa Pig. I'm not talking about Peppa Pig. What's I... that famous line from Peppa the Pig that everyone quotes? I... I'm a pig and my name is Peppa. <laughs> I have no idea. The only thing I know about Peppa Pig is that there's one episode where she befriends a spider and they couldn't air it in Australia. Are you looking it up? Yeah, wait, sorry. What did you say? <laughs> There's an episode of Peppa Pig where she befriends a spider, and they can't air it in Australia. Why? Because in Australia, you should be afraid of spiders. spiders. Kids shows started off as wholesome. Well, no. Kids shows have existed since before television shows existed. Fun fact. Oh. You haven't seen A Christmas Story, so you've never heard of Little Orphan Annie. But Little Orphan Annie was a popular radio show that kids used to listen to way, way back in the day. Is this not the basis for the Broadway musical Annie? No. Okay. She's it's also a- an orphan and Annie. It's the only name that orphans have, actually. <laughs> yeah. They're all named Annie. The... I mean, they could be related. I don't actually know. But Little Orphan Annie was just like... It wasn't a play. What was it? Just a talk show? I have no idea. Okay. I don't know anything about it. I do know that in a Christmas tree or Christmas story, they have this one part where he gets this like decoder thing. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the episode or show, they give like a code and he has to translate it using his decoder. And it translates to remember to drink your Ovaltine. Wait, how does this relate to Orphan Annie? It's the show. At the end of the show, they gave him a code. In the Christmas story. So he's on the radio show. Okay. No, this is how it goes if uh, Amanda's not explaining it correctly. Hold on. on. I can explain this. I'm explaining it right now. You mansplainer. I mean, she obviously didn't get it. (laughs) I did not get it. Okay. He is at home listening to the radio show in the movie... And they give the kid, they're giving like all of the kids listening to the broadcast a code. And if the kids have the decoder, they can actually use the code to translate it into something. And it translates into remember to drink your Ovaltine. It's an ad. Okay. I'm just confused. Is the show Orphan Annie or where's Orphan Annie in the show? The show is Little Orphan Annie. Okay, that's my last question. He's listening okay. to Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay. I got it. It's it's a radio program for children. I don't yes. know why that took me so long to wrap my <laughs> mind around. I'm so sorry. Tell me the rest <laughs> of your story. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. So this was like pre- TVs being a very common thing. Mm -hmm. Once TVs became prevalent enough, children were watching it regularly, and the first kids' TV shows became a standard part of programming. Mm -hmm. Some of the first TV kids' shows were solely based on education, like 
that was the only thing. It would literally be like, two plus two is four. Mm. Or remember to hold your fork like this. Yeah, crazy shit. I needed to learn the fork one. I still don't hold my fork right. Whatever. You can do math. I can hold chopsticks, though, so. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't teach that. Mm. Because it was all white people. Anyway, these were shows like Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. Ding dong school. (laughs) For those of you who can't see, which is all of you, I just put my... At blind people? I'm so sorry. They played this at the Helen Keller School. <laughs> <laughs> then they can't hear it, Divya. She's blind and deaf. I'm sure they partition the school and play radio programs on one side. If you're blind and deaf, this is just not the show for you. Helen Keller is blind and deaf. What? Yeah, but you're... I don't think her school is purposely for everyone who's both blind and deaf. Like, I don't think you have to be a combo. Oh, she has an actual school? I thought you were making a joke. All right. I don't know. I'm no, don't look it up. Please don't. Full school. <laughs> we got so derailed on that one. There's a elementary school and a Perkins school for the blind, which I think I was thinking about the Perkins school for the blind. Well, anyway... That's where she studied. (laughs) Since you guys can't see me, I put my hands on my hips. (laughs) And I said it like like a cheery old person. Ding dong school. Ding dong school. Um, For those of us who are listening, we heard it the first time. (laughs) And romper room. Romper room? Romper room. Romper room? For the kids to romp in. Oh, romper room. Romper room. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so these were all, these were shows, like, coming out of the late 1940s into the 1950s, and then in 1955, there was the first kids show that was educational, but also entertaining! Mm. Whoa! And it was called Captain Kangaroo. I love it. And that's all I have to say about Captain Kangaroo. I love you, Captain Kangaroo. Yeah. She doesn't share my love for him. He's fine. I don't know. He's a kangaroo that's also a captain. What's not to love? That's an immediately lovable concept. Now, it's important to note at this point, parents loved this. They were like, great. We can shove our kids in front of the TV and just walk away and trust that they're learning things. (sighs) Amazing. Mm -hmm. Daycare. So good. So, continuing on with a little bit of history on educational TV for kids. 1968 brought us Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I love Mr. Rogers. Everyone does. He's kind of the shit. Mm-hmm. And his little sweaters. Mm. Mm. And 1969 brought us Sesame Street. <laughs> 69. Divya didn't learn from Sesame Street. I did learn from Sesame <laughs> Street. That's why I can count till 69. Ah. Ah. Uh, and in 1979, the first 
all kids programming channel was created. And do you know what that programming channel was? The first all kids programming channel was created. Disney Channel. Nickelodeon. Oh, I didn't know Nickelodeon was before Disney. Oh, yeah. Nickelodeon was number one. Um, and they were founded with the initi- initiative blah, initiative mm. of focusing on programming that was educational. Okay. Yeah. I see they keep it <laughs> up they... today. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Um, these were considered the golden age... Uh, or this was considered the golden age of children's programming, the 60s to, like, the 80s. Mm-hmm. And it was because there was, in the mainstream children's programming, a focus on education, morals, virtues, all of that kind of jazz. Now, I hate that. I think it's pretentious and stupid. I do love Sesame Street and Mr. Roger. But I think that... They talked about good things. They did good things. They had good points, but they weren't realistic. And to be 100%, they were pretty fucking boring. Right. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Um, I also strongly disagree with anything where somebody is shoving ideas down your throat without actually giving you any practical application. Mm, like, you mean, like, teaching them to count but not telling them how that's going to be useful for them? Like, I'm trying to picture that in context of children's shows. Well, no, like, so, yes, part of Sesame Street was learning how to count and learning your letters and stuff like that. But also part of it was, like, be nice to people is not a good example because mm. obviously we should all be nice to people. But it's, like, they would give these kind of obtuse examples of, like, so-and-so is walking down a sidewalk and... They drop something on the ground, and we should shame them because they drop something on the ground, even if it was so an accident. So I think, like, what you're hitting upon is, like, they don't teach them to critically think yeah. and don't show ambiguous situations in which the black and white more, like, lessons they're teaching might need a little bit more nuance. Right. You're, like, asking them to build upon it and show that life is not just black or white right yeah Mm -hmm. it's literally not real they're creating scenarios and saying this is what you should do in this situation yeah no i agree because i think as a kid watching those kind of stuff when i went into the real world and things weren't like that it took a lot for me to like there was some kind of internal shaming of well i'm not the good person i thought i was Mm -hmm. but i don't think that's necessarily true and if i watch you're not a good person (laughs) Sorry. That six-year-old me wasn't a good person. Have I turned into a villain since? That's for... I don't know who to judge. Yeah. Um, Parents still loved it because it was very safe for them. They could trust that their child was in front of the TV learning good things. Mm -hmm. Right? Light, fluffy, good things. Not dealing with a substantial amount of real-world issues. Going on from there. Educational TV, kids TV is like one portion of kids TV, right? Mm-hmm. Kids cartoons are another portion of ki- of kids TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave out what is today's biggest segment of kids TV. And that is, for all intents and purposes, the kids sitcom. Mm. I fucking hate them. 
I grew up with them. I can't, I can't objectively analyze them. That's fair. I like our iCarly. iCarly? iCarly is a... It's so problematic in so many ways, looking back on it. It's but funny. it was super funny. And it's still funny to watch as an adult. Oh, yeah. I think That's So Raven was really good. Like, early 2000s stuff. Early 2000s sitcoms were not that bad. Is like, this because even... you uh, grew up watching them? Yes, this is why I said <laughs> I'm not objective when I come here. But I also think, like, stuff like Hannah Montana and um, Sweet Life of Zach and Cody is where we start to, like, waver into, hey, that's just boring and banal. Back it was fun day. to watch. Everything. I mean, I think, like, one of... I liked iCarly. I did. It was stupid funny. It was yeah. great. I also, at one point, really liked Lizzie McGuire. Mm-hmm. But also, I really enjoyed the incorporation of cartoon artwork into normal media. Right. So, that's where... I also think that Lisa McGuire was more realistic about, like... Here's what it's like to be a girl going through puberty. And I was like, I'm very... Like, the the first episode is the bra episode where she has to go shopping for a bra. Yeah. And it's just the most mortifying ordeal in her entire life. And I think, like, they don't do stuff that's, like, that hitting anymore in sitcoms. Same thing with That's So Raven. They address, like, racism and, like, ACAB, like, everything within, like that show mm-hmm. it's not they don't do that anymore in henry danger or whatever shit it's on tv now yeah very good back in my day back in my day divya just made it back in my day yeah i'm just getting oh, older and older irrelevant but still back in my day we walked uphill both ways <laughs> um all right so like i said we talked about some educational stuff. Now we're going to talk about cartoons. Okay. And the thing that I really want to stand out here is the dichotomy of the way parents react to two, these two forms of popular kids' programming. Okay. So, parents hate kids' cartoons. Does that surprise you? Yes, to an extent. I can see some cartoons that they would be mad about. I feel like a majority of it is, like, good fun. For the most part, well, I guess I should just get into it. Okay. But it's kind of, like, the big thing that I want you to take away is that as cartoons have continued to evolve, parents in particular, and adults in general, have found new things to demonize about the cartoon genre. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's still, like, old trends that just kind of stick around forever. But generally speaking, in each era of cartoon, of kids' cartoon, there's something new that they're picking at in particular. For the sake of splitting things up in nice, easy ways, I have defined three eras of cartoon, of kids' cartoon history. And I'm super, super proud of this. So, if anybody bashes me on it, I might cry. I'll accept it, but I'll also cry. <sighs> Thank you, Divya. The first period is the nihilist period. Okay. Second is going to be the capitalist period. And third is going to be the existential period. Who am I? Yeah. I exist, therefore I am. 
Good job. That's not really existentialism. It's more like... That's the answer to existentialism, according yeah. to Descartes. Yeah. We can do it's nihilism. Acceptance. My tail's not oh, real. real. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, do you know any old kids' cartoons? Like old, old? Old, old. Give me like a year range, decade. I'm talking like 40s, 50s, 60s. Okay. Um, this is so sad. I did a whole report on Depression Era cartoons, mm. and not a single bit of it is sticking with me now. I will rein you in for a second. Okay. Depression Era cartoons were actually mostly for adults. Oh, yeah? There weren't much kids. Well, because you would have to go to the movie theater to see them. TVs weren't a thing yet. Yeah. Okay, okay. Donald Duck, obviously, from yeah. World War cartoons. Yeah. World War Two. Yeah. So it's really funny because, like, at some point when Disney was getting built up, they realized that their cartoon characters were super appealing to children mm-hmm. and ended up making cartoon shows that directly marketed to children instead of doing the adult stuff. But, like, realistically, when the cartoons were first coming out, they chose to do animals because it was... You could do them with human features and make them look less realistic. It's almost like an uncanny valley argument Mm. of, like, if you made human cartoon characters back then, everybody would be like, what the fuck is that? But if you make animals with human features, then it's like, ah, cute. Mm -mm. Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, So this is more like, you're talking about kids' cartoons, but this is more of the era of, like, the golden age of cartoons in general. No. I'm talking about post-depression... Late 40s, like, post-World War II, late 40s, 50s, 60s. Yeah, golden era of cartoons was during, like, the end of the Great Depression, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was, like, starts in halfway through and then finishes up as the Great Depression finishes up. I'm just explaining some of the history of Disney, actually. That's, it has nothing to do with anything I did. No. Fun facts. Yeah. Okay. So, no. That's fair. Oh, Popeye? Popeye? Yeah. I don't actually know what cartoon he was a part of. Do you? What do you mean? He's part of the Popeye? Yeah, Popeye was... He had his own show? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know this. I watched it on YouTube with my nephews. Aw. Yeah. Well, they're not my nephews. They're more like my cousins. Yeah. What do you call your mom's cousin's kids? Your cousins. That's so weird. They're so much younger than me. They're like (laughs) nine. They're still your cousins. I guess. (laughs) Um. Okay, so... Looney Tunes mm-hmm. is, like, the most classic example of the oh, era. Oh, I thought those were more recent, like the 90s. I mean, Looney Tunes continued for a really long time. There were a lot of, like, spinoff and revival shows, and they did Space Jam in the 90s. Ah, uh, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But the original Looney Tunes cartoon started in... during World War II? I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. Um... It was the most dominant cartoon during what I'm calling the Nihilist period. Um, it was violent, aggressive, Mm -hmm. there were seemingly no morals to be taught. Yeah, like Bugs Bunny and the Hunter. Yeah. Just, uh, who's right, who's wrong, everybody sucks. Sure. It's just nihilistic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, parents feared that their kids in watching these shows would learn poor morals and become aggressive sociopaths (laughs) with antisocial personalities. They're describing Gen Z's. They were right. Yikes. Um, 
And, like, at surface level, they would be correct. And I'm going to just name a couple of other shows that were going on at the same time. You had, like, The Jetsons, The Alvin Show, which is Alvin and the Chipmunks. Whoa. Tom and Jerry. These are all, they're kind of, like, goofy. The Alvin and the Chipmunks tends to be more lighthearted, but they deal with, like, orphanhood a lot. Mm -hmm. The Jetsons is, like, how lazy we can be in the future when there's all this new technology and we don't have to do anything and everything is perfect. Mm. Um, And Tom and Jerry is a cat and a mouse. Yeah, I watched it on the Stairmaster recently. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, seemingly, there's nothing more, like, lazy, silly, pointless, senseless than all of this, right? Right. But when you actually watch individual episodes, instead of just looking at the violence, and instead of just paying attention to what's at its surface, you realize that these are actual characters. And the way that they look, the actions that they do, even the clothes that they wear, make the character who it is and adds to their persona. The way they talk adds to their persona. Um, They have jobs, they deal with taxes, mortgages, paying for things, saving money, Um, and they go through really, really hard times. You're saying that all these individual details end up making them like a more human character to empathize and relate to than just their archetype roles that we can look at at first glance, right? Right. Okay. And when compared to things like educational TV at the time, they were teaching similar lessons once you actually get down to them, but they were doing it in an entertaining way. Okay. Cool. So that is the nihilistic period. Now, that period pretty much lasted until the 1960s, been 1960s. Starting in the 1960s, Um, A new form of cartoon took shape. The capitalist period started, defined by more senseless violence and gore. And it was the absolute worst thing. And every Christian mother everywhere cried for her lost children. Examples? Superhero comics. I'm confused. Those seem good. Mm Mm-hmm. They're, like, fighting the devil almost literally in those comics. Yeah. But, on surface level, these cartoon Mm. series are just violent. Mm. And to a parent that's just glancing in at their child, watching TV for a second, and seeing bam, bap, boom, Mm. they're like, what the hell is my kid watching? And then they, 12 years, they'll ship their kids off to Vietnam, so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, these series were initially born out of the love of comic books coming out of World War II era in 1950s. Um, and their heroes... Oh, sorry. Let me, let me restart that. So, these comic series came out of the love of comic books and their heroes. Um, they were... Initially intended to just be fun and were kind of there to, like, give props to the kids that were actually reading comic books. But they had a very big unintended consequence of selling a shit ton of comic books. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is also, like, the era where comic books explode. 
and comic book series start being created to complement the comic books that are being sold. Mm-hmm. Soon follows more commercialism, capitalism. Lovely, lovely. You have the G.I. Joe series. You have Transformers. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And the worst. Is that how it relates? No, it's not. No. The worst. Most violent. Degrading. Of all. My Little Pony. You don't like My Little Pony? I love My Little Pony. I'm joking. Oh my god. The heart attack I just had. My sister was obsessed with My Little Pony. Like, insanely so. I don't know any of their names or anything, but I have watched... Like, one or two of those movies. Yeah. They're so precious. I know. I love My Little Pony. I I grew up with the My Little Pony movies. Yeah. I was a Barbie movie girl, so I never got into My Little Ponies as much as I did Barbies. I'm sorry. It's okay. I enjoyed my Barbie obsession. That's but fair. My Little Ponies are... They're so happy. I know. They're so cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you a horse girl? No. You're wide enough that you could be, though. Yeah, my family would have to be able to afford that first. Well, yeah, but there's, like, rich horse girls and then there's the poor horse girls. Which are just, like, obsessed with horses. And, like, go around recess galloping like a horse. And pretending like they're in a storm. Oh, my God. There used to be this girl named Mackenzie at my elementary school who used to do that. This girl named Beep. Named Redacted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, damn. No, I was not a horse girl. If anything, I was a cat girl. I could see that for you. Yeah. So anyway. Probably gave like a real Wednesday vibe. I wasn't that. I was just awkward. Oh yeah? I can't imagine you being awkward. I can imagine you thinking you were awkward and then coming off super intimidating. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. So anyway... Capitalism. All of these things came with action figure lines and dolls and books and comics. All of the craziness. Mm -hmm. Some of them got movies. Some of them are still, like, pretty big in popular culture today. Oh, you're telling me? I'm telling you. You're telling me? Yeah. I had literally never heard of a superhero franchise. Me neither. (laughs) Oh my god. Like, Stanley just, like, made a bunch of comics and then did made the first Iron Man movie. It went all to shit after that. Yeah. I haven't seen a super movie or a movie. Wait, what's Iron his Man. last name? Stanley what? <laughs> <laughs> the best joke. Thank you. <laughs> 10 out of 10. This is why we give you a mic. <laughs> I mean, I've never heard of him before, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> Good job. Um. So, coming out of this, coming out of seeing all of this, Parents lost their shit, and they started creating a bunch of lobbying groups. One of the biggest ones at the time was Action for Children's Television. Oh my god, people need better things to do. Yes. And they tried to enforce really strict regulations on kids' content. (sighs) Interestingly, all of this is actually what helped spur the golden age of kids' television and kids' programming. Because they were coming out with a lot of educational content to counter all of... The cartoon nonsense? Yes. Is that how we got PBS? Because I think PBS is the best thing to ever happen to kids' television. I have no idea. I don't know the history of PBS. I'm pretty sure it's always existed. It's just... 
it wasn't always ha- didn't always have like kid shows on it. Mm. Actually, yeah, I think PBS was one of the original Saturday cartoon yeah. shows or cartoon it, networks. It probably did. Yeah, but like it wasn't. It's not just for kids. It's just public stations. So yeah. just do any like documentaries or any news or so forth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Also, I put as a fun note. We did get Schoolhouse Rock out of that, so one thing. We got we one. We the people. Yeah. Um, ultimately, they failed, as parents often do. <laughs> <laughs> and cartoons continued to be stronger than ever. And cartoons continued to be stronger than ever with later successes like a reinvigoration of Scooby-Doo, where they did a pup named Scooby-Doo in the 90s, some of the early Star Wars cartoons, and Pokemon. Pokemon. And now, what do we say to all this? Parents can suck it. Rot row. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That was great. So now... We move from. <laughs> so now we're in like the early 90s, early to mid 90s. <laughs> we move from the golden age of children's programming and educational content, and we move into the golden age of kids' cartoons. I thought the golden age of kids' cartoons was in the 1930s. Oh, kids' cartoons, not cartoons in general. This is kids' ah, cartoons. Can, we'll redact that. Beep. <laughs> this is also what I'm calling the existential period of cartoons. Kids' cartoons. Okay. They are. Wait, tell me what time period we're in again now? We're, we're in the late 90s to like the mid-2010s. We're in code names. Yes, we are. Spy next door. We are in... The worst, the most violent, the crudest, hateful, stereotyping, slapstick, stupid pieces of content that you could ever see. I love them all. (laughs) These are the cartoons that I grew up on. And the reason why I'm calling this the existential period is because they had to reckon with the backlash of parents while questioning what they even were. Mm. Are they... Lazy stories about things that we'll do when our, we grow up and stories about cats chasing mice and violence and that kind of stuff. Or are they selling things to kids because that's the best thing that we know how to do with the genre? Mm. Or are they something else entirely? What came out of all of this unsuredness? are some of the best cartoons that ever existed. I'm talking things like Spongebob, Hmm. Courage the Cowardly Dog. You didn't watch that one? I love Courage the Cowardly Dog. (laughs) I watched it like three months ago. I watch all the Cartoon Network shows, like almost on a loop. I would also like to say, back in my day, the shows were so good. Now are really good too. No, I'm not. So I'm not saying the golden. <laughs> I'm I'm saying that like 
kids' cartoons are getting better. This is just actively, like, there have been a lot of essays on this calling this era of kids' cartoons the golden era of kids' cartoons. It's not just because there was good content, but there were also so many of them being produced. Mm. Okay. Okay. So, calm down, Lewis. But yes, back in my day, the cartoons were so good. Lewis, get off my lawn. (laughs) That's right. So I was going to continue to name things. Okay, give me out. more. Give me more. Teen Titan. They're rebooting that. Yeah, but every reboot just sucks. No, they 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 did a live action reboot, then they rebooted the comic again. There's there's a lot of reboots of Teen Titans. It makes me I just like feel I was going to start watching it, and then I was like, then there's going to be too many reboots to watch afterwards. So I just decided <laughs> not to. Avatar. Oh. We've been talking so much about the lame Avatar that I forgot about the real Avatar. I watched that during the pandemic for the first time. Oh my god. Yeah. Wait, me too. It's very, very good. Fairly Odd Parents. Classic. Classic. Foster's Home for the Imaginary Friends. Again, rewatched this this summer. I love that so much. Jimmy Neutron. Mm. Not your game. The, the only thing that I remember about Jimmy Neutron is the episode where they did the crossover with the Fairly Odd Parents, and they oh. switched the cartoons out, and then just like I made my brain want to throw up. Yeah, that was not good. <laughs> um, and one that I'm kind of like had partially watched before, but I'm now watching in full, and I'm re really falling in love with. Hey Arnold. <sighs> hey Arnold, is that no? I'm thinking of Ed, Ed and Eddie. Oh, Ed, Ed, and Eddie also cracked me up. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I've seen that one, but I haven't, like, seen it as an adult, so it's, like, very, like... I shook my head. It's fair. I don't know where it is in my brain, is <laughs> what that means. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, Hey Arnold is one that's a little bit more obscure for our age, but I feel like was prime for my brother's age, so maybe... What about Rugrats? Some of them. Rugrats, too, yeah. Rugrats mm-hmm. are definitely in there. They're a bit more of, like... A younger kids cartoon? You think so, dude. I mean, they deal with some heavy shit. Yeah, I read a lot of articles about it as an adult when I was like, I don't remember that, but damn. But this is what I'm talking about, right? As we were in this existential period of cartoons, they were trying to redefine themselves, and what they eventually realized was that they can be like the older, older cartoons and explore just daily life. And they can do it in a way that's more meaningful to children by placing it in the minds of children. Mm, Okay. And there's been a lot of studies that came out in the past, like, ten years or so that say that, like, the kids that grew up on these cartoons are actually more emotionally intelligent than their peers. Mm. Well, I always knew our generation was superior, but... I mean, it's peers, so wouldn't it be the same generation just to people who didn't watch it? Yeah. There were a lot of kids that grew up in this era that weren't allowed to watch any of these things. That's why you guys are so much more intelligent than I am. What? You watched kids' cartoons. Get out of here. Not really. Shut no, you, that, those were the years that Luke honed his skills of video gaming, and now he thrashes us every time you play. That's fair. So... You got something else out of your childhood. He has other skills. Yeah. <laughs> Just not intelligent. <laughs> um, and for me, like, every single one of those cartoons I named, I have personally watched a good amount of. Mm-hmm. I'm very... I love them all. Um, I think that they 
taught me a lot of things and opened my mind to other perspectives. And I give them a lot of credit for the person that I became. So, mm. yeah. Now, Divya. Mm, Divya. You might be wondering how this ties into impressionism. I was I an wasn't. impressionable child. Very good. What is the first thing you think of when I say impressionist art? Brain's so blank right now. <laughs> the Water Lilies by Monet. Okay, what do you think about them? They are heavy brushstrokes, a lot of light um, filtering through, essentially kind of blurry. What do you feel when you look at them? Happiness. I feel emotion. I feel the artist with me. I can, like, I feel like their hands are on the painting and I can see it. And I can feel the, like, clean air that they probably breathed while painting it. Do you feel like you're standing on a bridge over a river? You see the lily pads. Mm -hmm. You're looking down. Yeah. It's peace. It's a lot of peace. Unless you're looking at depressing Mm-hmm. Impressionist paintings. In that case, depression. Depression is what I feel. Yeah. But you feel mm-hmm. feelings. Yes. Great. I'm actually a sociopath. Oh. Wait, did you care? Do you care what I thought of <laughs> <laughs> when you said impressionist? Yes, I do, Lewis. What do you? What do impressionist you? Impressionist art. Yes. The first thing I thought of was like you know when concrete settling and people with their hands in <laughs> for their names. That's what I thought of. Lewis thought of literal impressions. Yeah. What a wonderful addition. And we honor his perspective. It makes me feel concrete. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Okay. Okay. Well. Which one of you want to choose for your story? Yours. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing concrete here. Mm. 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 Oh my god, we're getting so lame so fast. Thank you. We did something great. We just made it lame immediately. So in 1874, some of the greatest artists of the era today, great artists like Monet, Descartes, Renoir, um, Sisley, I haven't actually heard of that one, uh, got together and they exhibited a the first ever collection of Impressionist art. Mm-hmm. It didn't go well. Oh, yeah. I read some of those reviews while I was researching. Yeah. Rough. Yeah. One-star reviews on Yelp, guys. Oh, yeah. Maybe zero. Maybe they just, think like... you can give zero stars on Yelp. But you could these, during that period. These people would. Yeah. They'd find a way. Um, generally speaking, the overview of the exhibit was that the art style was immature, crude, and inappropriate. hmm Yeah. In particular, I have to read this just because it cracks me up so much. This is like... So this is from a newspaper critic at the time named Louis Leroy. hmm Oh, we read the same review. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a very, very... Something sarcastic to say... That was so sarcastic that I just have to say only a Frenchman could say this. <laughs> <laughs> Impression, of course, 
There must be an impression somewhere in it. What freedom, what flexibility of style. Wallpaper in its early stages is more finished than that. Oh! You should oh. do it in a French accent. Oh, yes, you should. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, ho, ho. Impression. Impression. Of course. There must be... <laughs> there must be... <laughs> there must be an impression somewhere in it. I can't do the rest of it. Alright. That was good. <laughs> Thank you. Um. Today, mm. we think of impressionist art as maybe not technically powerful. We do definitely have like very specific art styles that came out of it and you can master technical skills in impressionist art but it's not as technically skilled as things like realism right Mm -hmm. but it's the emotional depth and beauty that we honor today it's the things that we feel it's the perspectives that we're able to acquire just by looking at a painting and that is how cartoons kids cartoons are like impressionist art they teach you different perspectives they teach you how to feel but you get to feel the feelings and make your own wonderful thank you you did kind of go in the same place this time we really did fun but that's how impressionist paintings are they make you feel things true in a different point of view it also helps that we both really like impressionist art. Yeah, like we really understood like the core meaning of it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um What is your favorite most favorite cartoon show? My favorite most favorite cartoon show? That's a terrible question for me because kids cartoon. I'm Okay, are we specifying kids cartoon? Mm-hmm. If we're specifying kids cartoon. It is Foster's Home for the Imaginary Friends. Okay. That's a good one. Yeah. What's yours? I'm trying to think of, like, what was mine when I was a kid. It's just, like, difficult for me to remember, really. But I gotta assume it was, like, SpongeBob SquarePants or something like that. It's probably the one I watched most consistently as a kid. That is very fair. Yeah. Now as an adult, I think right now for this period of my life... It's very much like Gravity Falls. Mm, I still haven't seen Gravity Falls. You've seen like two or three episodes now. Yeah. It is like, it's harder to sit through as an adult if you don't like love it, love it. Because there's not like, oh, so many like adult themes that would keep you captivated. But like, there's a lot of really great storytelling there. Mm -hmm. And like, a lot of layered cartooning, which I, it's very well done. Mm -hmm. And you knew, it's the same guy who did something else you like, right? Yeah. Yeah, he wrote episodes of Futurama. Mm. Which, Futurama was a great adult cartoon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in other notes, watch adult cartoons. They're not stupid either. Ah. Some of them are stupid. Some of them are stupid. Family Guy is so stupid. Family Guy is... Family Guy gives, kept me away from adult cartoons for a long time. Yeah, it really gives all adult cartoons shame. Yeah. What is the other one over the King's Hill? King's... What is it? King of the Hill. Yeah. I, I like, heard from a lot of people that it was really good and they liked it. I watched the first two episodes and I said, what? No. That's it. I said, what? Yeah. 
Yeah, if you're if you're into kids cartoons and you're looking for adult cartoons, not the South place Park, to go. Yeah, Futurama, Disenchantment. Disenchantment is so good. Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers. If you are depressed, Archer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, what you just heard was the last episode you'll hear from us in 2022. Yikes. And we started this in August, and I pulled up my folder of notes just to kind of list the topics we've done. We started off with vampires. No, we didn't. (laughs) Rodeo. We we started off with rodeo. I don't know why rodeo is not in here. It's in the middle. That's why. It's organized. (laughs) It's super weird. We started off with rodeo. Then we went to vampires. Then we went to City State, Lighthouses, Surf and Turf, <laughs> Trains, Trains, Nuggets, and then we have ended at Impressionism. We've covered a lot this year, so I wanted to take a moment and reflect. Uh, Amanda, Luke, uh-huh. tell me about your favorite episode and tell me why it was your favorite episode. That's a lot of critical thought for 9.45. We do it quickly. So we can get to bed. Luke has to go first. Okay. Okay. They were all equally bad. (laughs) The end. You're terrible. I know I am. (laughs) He's going to give us a real answer. You know, the first episode was the best one. It was so good. We've only gotten worse from there. Yes, we've only gone downhill. Yikes. No, I, I mean, I really enjoyed this. It was uh, nice to have, like, the first episode coming out and, like, an idea that we had for a while mm-hmm. actually come to fruition. I think more of, like, a creation standpoint, maybe not the most impressive as far as actual content. I still think it was very good content. But <laughs> as far as creator, well, I didn't create it as much as you did, but the whole idea, first episode released... It was really exciting. Yes. Yeah. There was a lot of emotional tugs. Yes. Great points. And you did help create it in a really big way, Luke. You helped set up the sound and got us going in that department. And you got yelled at once or twice. Only by me. About the sound. But we got it together, guys. It's a big journey. We've made it. We have made it. All right, Amanda, your favorite episode? I've been thinking about this the whole time, and I feel like one of those kids that's like, Oh. Uh, mm. <laughs> um. Nugget. Oh, yeah? Nugget was so good to me. Just like because you were high during it? No. Hmm. Tell me why. I mean, okay, so Nugget was the first one where I was like, I really truly enjoy my story and everything connects exactly the way I want it to. Mm. Um, I got a little preachy at the end, which I always have fun with. Other people don't, but it's fine. It's all about me. (laughs) And I really enjoyed your story. I thought that it was, like, lighthearted and very, like... I really like the stories where you can kind of put pins in things Mm -hmm. and watch the way it's developing in your head, kind of. So I felt like, um... That was a really easy one to just, like, track. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I do have to ask you, uh, have you listened to it yet? Nugget? Yeah. I started, yeah. 
We listened to it. You, you started. <laughs> so you don't know how it actually sounds. No, we listened to like more than half of it. I was like halfway through Divya's story. It was it was good. What did I do something really stupid? No, I just wanted because doing actually recording and the final product sound different. Yeah, that's true. No, but I liked Nugget and both. I thought that there was like a good balance of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. What about you? My favorite episode was Lighthouses. Really? I am a person who really likes like the symbolism of lighthouses and the kind of cozy feel. But I think we kind of like we built out two different versions of lighthouses and like had a lot of fun with it as a symbol. Yeah. And I kind of liked the way our stories kind of talked to each other and the stories we told. Um, and I had a lot of fun reading for that one, too. <laughs> so I had a lot of fun preparation. And then I don't know if I would have ever watched the Lighthouse movie. But, like, listening to you talk about it made me really happy. I, like, really like when my friends describe things that they enjoyed. And I kind of got to watch you watch the movie and then also explain the movie. So I had a lot of fun. Oh, boy. Let me tell you, I butchered that plot a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. But now that plot is the plot I'll carry with me in my heart. It's Amanda's (laughs) version of The Lighthouse. So I had a lot of fun. I think it was a it was definitely like a calmer and quieter episode for us. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like we were like a little bit more like emotionally connected during that episode, and it felt good to record. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of ties between that one and this one mm-hmm. because like we didn't end up at the same place for that one. Like I think our connections are much closer for this one. Mm-hmm. But in some way, our brains were aligned, and we did both end up talking about like pieces of media intently for that too so yeah that's funny well amanda do you want to say your goodbye message for 2022 oh yeah, yeah. thank you for being here i love you luke do you want to say a goodbye message no i would like to say my hello message for 2023 oh because oh. oh. no i'm just saying our next topic oh <laughs> That was really cute. Because yeah. we will begin the next year with rainbows. Oh, God, I hope I begin next year with rainbows and not depression. Not depression. <laughs> I, I repeat, the topic is rainbows and not depression. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. Goodbye, 2022. Hello, 2023. A lot has changed since I've met you guys in 2022. We became very, very good friends in 2022. You mean last week? Last week? Yeah. <laughs> we moved in together. We started a podcast and I got really good friends out of it. So I'm happy we did this. Oh. I am slightly crying right now. Thank you. That was really cute and really lame at the same time. Yeah, that's generally most of what I do. I that's you. my genre as a person. Um, well, to you, one or two audience members out there, thank you for listening. Invite your friends for this journey. Maybe make some new friends and cry with them next year. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, always, always follow us on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I'll end with the most insane commercial plug because we live in a capitalistic society. Yes. Our Instagram is how do we get here underscore confusion. And I will post photos of me and Amanda next along with collages of each episode. They're really good. Divya puts her heart and soul into all of this. So. I haven't made it with nuggets yet, but that it's coming. coming. <laughs> it's coming, I promise. 
They're all amazing, and you should follow us on Instagram and convince your friends to listen. Yeah. And if you've made it this far and you're listening to the last episode of 2022, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And have a great Christmas, whatever winter holiday you celebrate, and obviously a good New Year's. And please, wake up on the first day of the new year in a strange place and ask yourself, how did you get there? Goodbye.